Good morning again. I hope you enjoyed our time of worship, preparing for our time together through the hearing and teaching of God's Word. We are continuing our journey through Romans chapter 9. We will be taking on a smaller piece, and then um, uh, when I come back, we'll be uh, hitting a larger piece of chapter 9 here in Romans. We'll be looking at 14 to 18. Uh, but this, is a, this hits a very specific topic, actually a very sensitive topic, a, a topic that is um, one that has been dividing churches all throughout our, not only our country, but around the world. Uh, we deal with the topic here that the Jewish people press upon Paul. Now, this is going to go back to our previous two messages here in Romans chapter 9. We'll briefly reflect on that, review that as we dive into our passage this morning. But one of the things that I want us to, to have as a backdrop, as I normally do with our introduction, is to understand a, a key word, a key word that's used here that we need to have a healthy biblical understanding of this word. So then not only that, as we have this healthy biblical understanding of this word, we don't allow the world to manipulate the meaning and definition of this word. That we allow the Bible to flow in and through us when it comes to this word. One of the things that I have seen over the past couple of years, and even going as far back as the past six or seven years, is our communities, our culture, our society is rapidly changing. Rapidly changing. It doesn't take us very long to think or to look on the news or social media and to see something very key, very vital as one of the top talking points in our lives, in the world, in our communities today. And the word that we're going to look at briefly to a certain extent and then moving on to our passage and seeing how the Bible deals with this and helps us understand this in the context in which we are reading it in Romans chapter 9 is the word injustice. Injustice. Now, just so you know, you don't, I don't want the world to define injustice for you. If you have a definition other than the ones I'm going to give, then the world has manipulated your understanding of this word. The Oxford or Webster Dictionary uh, defines injustice as a lack of fairness or justice. A lack of fairness or justice. This is the number one definition that is listed there. Now, the Strong's Bible definition of the word injustice is unrighteousness unrighteousness, a violation of God's standards, which bring divine disapproval. Unrighteousness, a violation of God's standards, which bring divine disapproval. To shorten it up, it's sin. It's sin. It's not someone's opinion. It's not someone's emotion. It's not someone thinking they deserve something that they should have, could have, would have. It's sin. One of the greatest things that we see in our culture and society today is sin. The thing is, is we allow the world to dictate how we view, how we accept, 
what we think of sin. As a Christian, if you're a professing Christian here today, you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He is not just someone you believe in, but He is someone that owns you, that your life belongs to, according to the Scriptures. Then we see the problem is sin. Regardless of our viewpoints on the different social or economical situations that people may or may not be in, the problem is sin. It's sin. Injustice is sin. It's pretty much what the bottom line is. It's interesting to see because as soon as we look at the word injustice from a biblical standpoint, as a biblical definition, one of the first things we see is unrighteousness unrighteousness what's amazing to me is the things that people are 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 fighting for as injustices they feel or believe that they can cause more injustice to try to raise some form of mindset some form of reality some form of understanding some form of conclusion that there is these injustices Now, one of the things that I must remind us all, if you're a believer here and Christians should have this understanding, we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Injustice should not be a surprise to each and every one of you. Every time we have an encounter with someone in the community, myself, my wife, my family included, we try to make the determination, are they a believer or not? Because if they're not a believer, who am I to expect things that are righteous from them. I don't. I don't. So it blows my mind when I see Christians coming out in droves, when I see even churches completely coming out in droves in our current uh, state in which we are in to say, ah, we need to stand for these injustices. And I simply sit back and say, what about the gospel what about the gospel hey we need to stand with this group or organization they're fighting against injustice but look at what they're doing the sin the violence the corruption the lies the manipulation ah don't look at that what do you mean don't look at that Last time I checked, one unrighteous act does not justify another. One of the things that we need to make sure we have a healthy understanding in which I, I pray and I hope that I am faithful to the Word of God is exactly that. Look to the Word of God. We have a biblical worldview. We view the world through God's Word. It's interesting. I've been, I've been reading quite a bit um, a book called Fault Lines by Vodi Bauckham, and I, and I gave it to all of our gra- UC graduates uh, at the end of the, the school year this past year. And, and it's interesting because one of the things that 
people don't know about him. Yeah, he's a black pastor, preacher, missionary, done many and great things, but he was one of the most advocating uh, black organizational... I mean, this guy used to wear Malcolm X t-shirts and all these things, and he called himself very Afrocentric. If you're not sure what that word is, you can look it up. But growing up in the 70s and 80s, I mean, this, this man has been many, many places, have gone through many, many things. I encourage you to read the book yourself. And he holds a very strong view on the way things are going in our current culture and society today here in America. And he talks about this very issue. But one of the things that I want to make sure we get very clear, very straight, I'm not trying to politicize this message by any means. I'm not trying to make this uh, 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 some type of a, a rally or anything of that sort. Those that know me know me very well that I would not do such a thing, but understanding the word injustice. Why? Because the Jews, we're going to see the Jews blame God, try to blame God as being unjust. Unjust. See, the thing is, is that as Christians, we should see that as a fallacy, as heresy, as something that we should never accuse God of. So I hope in our own minds, in our own hearts, in our own beliefs, that all of those flow in and through God's Word. Injustice is essentially sin. It's sin. We shall look upon these things in our culture and society and like sin is running rampant. Let's remove laws. Sin. Let's eliminate those who enforce the laws. Sin. Thing is, do we allow the Bible or the world to define how we view things? this is something for each and every one of us to really search our own hearts, our own conscience, and our own faith in and through Jesus Christ. Now, I hope I've got your mind going in many different directions, but ultimately with the platform of that word injustice and understanding what the, the definition of it is, I know it can be used in many different contexts. It can be used in many different ways. But the one context and the one application as believers, we should be using it and looking at it and defining it is through the biblical definition. So before I go any further, let me pray and we will get into our text this morning and see what the Lord has for us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for our time thus far. My prayer is that you would continue to show us the truth. Not truth based on our opinions, not truth based on our emotions, not truth based on our circumstance or experience, but true biblical truth, absolute truth, untainted, 
unmanipulated, and not watered down by any means. Just your raw truth. So may you continue to use the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and convict us through our time together in Romans chapter 9. And I pray that our time together in this message would be of you and no one else. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have looked at thus far in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. We're picking up at verse 14. And we see these things. We first see Paul's heart for the Jewish people, right? Starting in verse 1, 3. Uh, one, two, three, four, and five, his heart for the Jewish people, that I, I am willing to give up my salvation. If that was even a possibility, I'm willing to do that, that you would be saved, that you would see the truth. You want to talk about a warrior for the gospel, it's Paul. Go back and listen to the message two weeks ago for this passage or study on your own and really look in depth, especially in the Greek words used here in the beginning of Romans chapter 9 and just the, the passion and the love and the desire and commitment, the undying love and commitment that Paul had for his people. You want to talk about an advocate? An advocate for his people? That Look at Paul. And what was it? It was for their salvation. It was for their salvation. Not for a cause. Not for any injustice. It was for their salvation. Then he goes on and he answers their critical questions that they have and the understanding. He's like, wait, who what's going on here? Don't you understand that, yes, you, you've, you've had these privileges as a Jewish people. You've had these things that were come to you before anybody else. But you have to understand it's not a circumcision of the flesh. It's a circumcision of the heart. It's a transformation from within. Just because you're born a Jew doesn't mean you are saved. And he makes it very, very clear to them. We're going to review it at just a brief more. It will be in, my, um, in the context in which I'm addressing verse 14. But let's go ahead and look at where Paul brings us now into verse or into our passage, verse 14 through 18, here of Romans chapter 9. Please follow along if you can as I read our passage for our study this morning. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So we see very clearly the accusations that are made. And we see here that the claim of God being unjust 
God being unjust. And it has to do with salvation, whom he chooses. So let's address that, because there are some questions that I'm sure arise here that I'm, uh, you may have already have asked or thought of uh, now or in the past, but uh, if not, we will be looking, and you may have not have thought that far, but let's get into it. So Paul, again, continues to teach us um, by continuing to pose these questions, right? And then we can look at them as the agitator or as the doubting Jews or those that are critical amongst the congregations that Paul is writing to in Rome. And he's given us his scripture-based answers over and over and over again. And he makes it very, very clear. So after verses 1 through 13, we see that he asks, what are you going to say now? What are you going to say now? Because we see the, the form of, or the breaking down of, or the example of God's sovereign election. I elect some, not all. I choose whom I choose. I don't choose all. We talked about the sovereign election, predestination, those that who are elected by God. There are so many doubters when it comes to these questions, but there are also so many answers. Now, are we going to say that God is unjust? Because essentially that's what Paul is saying. He's like, okay, what are you going to say now? Are you going to say he's unjust since he what? He chose Isaac over Ishmael. That was one of our examples last week. You can go back and listen to the message or study the, the passage from last week. He chose who? Jacob over Esau. The twin brothers. A perfect example of God's sovereign grace, God's providence, God's what? Sovereign election. Twin brothers that came out and he condemned, he didn't condemn one, but he chose one over the other. And we saw how God is like, look, you're going to be cursed, Esau. You're not going to have anything. Why? Because you're going to turn your back, and guess what? I'm going to destroy your city, your town, your people. And he's like, well, we'll just rebuild it. And he's like, then I'm going to destroy it again. Jacob was the chosen. So what are we going to say about this? Paul responded in his usual fashion. And it, it, it's, it's an explanation point, right? It, it's, it's exerted, in a sense, by no means, right? He answers very quickly, very sharply, very to the point. No. No. And then he explains. It's funny because I... Um, there's times I, I, I am, you know, people complain that I answer too quickly, right? I was like, well, I should start re responding. Like, I'm just like Paul. You know, as soon as you, you start asking a question, and then it's like, the obvious answer is no, right? And I said, like, no means, by no means, right? And I just start answering that way. I wonder how well that would come off of, right? Same, same way I answer like Jesus, right? When my, my wife comes and asks me something, and and I was like, woman, why do you bother me with such things, right? And Jesus said that to his own mother, right, at the, at the wedding feast. If you're not quite sure about that encounter, 
there's some homework for you. Um, I try to be as, as uh, uh, scripture-based as I can, uh, but I don't want to take these things out of context. So let's understand them in the way that they're meant for us to understand them. So the apostle correctly anticipates that his teaching, that the, this proclamation, not only proclamation, but this, this um, direction that he's taking this and defining and helping the Jewish people understand that just because they're born as from in a Jewish family doesn't mean they're saved, right? And he, and he shows how God right approaches this and so with this anticipation he of this this sovereign election this 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 direction that he is going he stirs up all kinds of objections right which i'm sure may have stirred up in some of you last week right and even today so to this very day people cannot understand this they accuse god of unfairness or injustice. This goes at the very heart, the very argument. It absolutely obliterates any argument that God saves all people. It, it does. God does not save everyone. If you have that understanding here today, and, and my simple teaching this morning doesn't help answer those questions or sway you, to a biblical understanding that God does not save everyone, I would love to uh, converse with you about this even further. But God does not save everyone. There are those who are lost and who will never be saved. That's the Scriptures. That's the Bible. That's what we see. Some of us may have the objection of that, well, God is a God of love and that's not loving. And we have to understand, and as I hope we'll see through the message this morning, you've forgotten what we truly deserve. We deserve hell. We don't deserve God's grace. So is He not the God of love? For then He chose some to love some. What about everyone else? What about them? The common misconception is that God chooses so, so, so God chooses some, so therefore He condemns everyone else. And that is not so. God is, there's the, 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 the argument is that God is unrighteous for condemning people but we have to understand a righteous God must do what is right. Unrighteousness, right? Unrighteousness, God does not do what is right. It's as simple as that. Righteousness is doing what is right. Unrighteousness is not doing what is right. It's doing what is wrong. See, here's the thing. We are sinful. We are born into sin. So therefore, as a punishment for our sin, right? Sin is an eternal separation from God. That's what it is. Eternal separation from God. The only one who can uh, uh, take that away, the only one who can mediate that, the only one who can come in and bring us back to God is Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the cross. 
This is Calvary. This is salvation. The only one, nothing else. Paul's going to define that for us or break that down even further for us so that we understand that in the context in which he's given it to us here. But is God a righteous God if he does not punish injustice? things that are unjust, like injustices. What is injustice? It's sin, right? It's unrighteousness, things that go against God. So if God doesn't punish that, then is He a just God? Well, He's not. Because He's not punishing the injustice in which we see, in which we have. God must punish sin. It's as simple as that. Some of us might be thinking, it's like, well, no, it's more complicated than that. It's not. We see it going all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. The fall of man. In order for God to be a just God, to be a righteous God, He must live in accordance to righteousness. It's as simple as that. Let's turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verse 17. Starting in verse 17, says this, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. So pay close attention in the favor that God has, who He has favor towards. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. Now this wickedness is in accordance to God and His view and what He deems is wicked. Not what we feel, not what we think, not our opinion, not our emotions, not our experiences, what God deems as wicked. Verse 21, My mouth will speak will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Amen. So we see here in just a little, and I, and I could take a lot of different Proverbs and Psalms and different other passages and talking about the righteousness and the just right of God, but I'm just going to take a few. Let's turn over to Jeremiah Chapter just a little bit to the right. It's not too far off of Psalms. Jeremiah chapter 9. Starting verse 23. Thus says the Lord. 
Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So yes, he loves, but he loves in a steadfast way of justice and righteousness in the earth. Okay? So if we see people living or doing things that are not righteous, right? That are not in accordance to God's word, then that's sin. That's not in his love. That's not in his will. We cannot say, okay, I see injustice in the world, and so therefore I must cause injustice so then others may feel, may see the pain, may understand that's not our job. Anytime someone approaches me, regardless of race, color, religion, whatever it may be, their background, it doesn't matter. And they talk to me, it's like, Pastor, you're, you're a pastor, right? And I get that a lot, especially from underbelievers. Like, oh, you're a pastor, so you know, for some reason they think I, I know everything, right? So let me ask this guy. Or they, it's either that, they're, they're truly seeking knowledge, or they're trying to you know, prove a point trying to stump me, right? In a sense, I'm like, if I don't know, I was like, I don't know. Google it, I guess, right? Why does this happen? What do you think about this? And I explained to them, I said, well, as a pastor, as a Christian, right? I view that that's sin. They need Jesus. Yeah, they need Jesus. And I say, you need Jesus too. What? See, this is the understanding that we have is we are afraid to tell people they need Jesus. We're afraid to do that. Why? I've been preaching this for years. Ever since I've been starting to do uh, wow, ever since they started building the UC campus and I would study in the library out there, one of the first buildings that they had up where I could park right outside the library with no pass or anything. Those were the days. We've exchanged the two greatest commandments, one for the other. First and greatest commandment, love the Lord God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. It's not the same, it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But again, and I always give this little asterisk of a warning, love according to Scripture, not according to the world. When people say, well, Pastor Raph, that's not loving, and I said, you're absolutely right because your definition of love is based on the world, not on the Scriptures. It's not going to appear loving to you. Just like injustice to me is not going to be the same injustice to you. Why? Because I define it based on Scripture. 
all this is not to cause a rift, not to cause fights, not to cause friction with others. All of this is to what? Circle back around to who? Jesus. Pastor, what do you think about that? And I said, well, it's sin. They're sinful people. They don't know. It's like, well, why do you think that is? Because they need Jesus. Yeah, they need Jesus. And you know what? You need Jesus too. Do we not understand it's a gospel issue? And the issue is, it's a lack of. It's a lack of. It's not us exchanging one cause for another. Because we're great at following causes. We're great at jumping on bandwagons. We like to belong to something. We like to feel that we're a part of something. We like to feel like, oh, look what I'm doing. And this is one of the reasons why we lack understanding on presenting and bringing the gospel to the others. Why? Because it has nothing to do with us. And we are so prideful, we don't want to do that. We want something we can be proud of. We want something we can take, we can take ownership of. We want something that we can get accolades for. Ah, so let's go do this. Let's go do that. Let's be an advocate. Let's get pats on the back. Let's get recognition. Completely null and void of the Scriptures. Completely null and void of what the Gospel truly is. See, that's the thing. That's the great thing about the Scriptures. That's the great thing about the Gospel. That's the great thing about salvation. It does not depend on you. God saves. We don't. All we are is good stewards. How are we to be a good steward? With our faith with our salvation, with the Scriptures, with the Gospel. This is what we're called to do. This is what we are to advocate for. Did we forget the passage that talks about us being ambassadors for Christ? Being representatives of God here on this earth? It's all Scripture. This is not my opinion. This is not my emotion. This is not my, just what I'm teaching. This is Scripture. We need to understand that the Lord, what the Lord calls us to. We need to understand what the Scriptures teach us. And we need to understand that God is in control of all things. And He lays it out very clearly for us and to us in the Bible. Let's move on to verses 15 and 16 of Romans chapter 9. So we go from this, Paul almost being sarcastic in a way to where it's like, okay, what are you going to say now? Are you going to say God is unjust? There's injustice in God? Like, are you kidding me? Verse 15, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Excuse me. Verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It's very clear there. This shouldn't be something that is hard for us to understand. So we see Paul quote, and this quote here in verse 15 is from Exodus 33. Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, to be specific. God's word to Moses. 
Why? Because he's going to give us an example. And who's this example? Pharaoh. We'll get to that in the, in the, the next verses we're leading up to. So who can say that the Most High, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not have the right to show mercy and compassion on whom he chooses? Who are we to say this? Now, I, I have a whole teaching on this, but it gets more in-depth in the, in the passages to come in Romans 9, so I'm not going to insert that now in its entirety here and, and, and then again in the next teaching, but I want us to understand that who, who are we to tell God what to do and what not to do? Who are we to judge God in which we say God is unjust? How come you did this but not this? One of the things that uh, Diane and I have really been kind of processing and praying is just there's been a lot of death that has happened in and around our family in the recent weeks. And it's interesting because we begin to see how, how believers and non-believers that are part of the family deal with these losses. And we began to, to really reflect on that. And it's like, okay, how, how are they dealing with the loss of someone? And it's such a contrast. But it is a mixed bag. There are some believers that blame God and have, and have an, a, 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 just a, a thing against God now. It's like, you know what, God, I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't want to talk to you right now. Or, why would God do this? Or, let's celebrate. Celebrate the life of this, this person. It's a mixed bag. It's a mixed understanding. But we need to understand that God is in control. God chooses to have compassion and mercy on whom He chooses. It's so hard for us to accept this. Why is that? Because we like to make sure we are in control. And when we have some inclination that we are no longer in control, some of us, it's hard to deal with that. Because we're control freaks. Whether it's on the outside or on the inside, some of us, we, we, we have to be in control. Have to be in control. See, the thing is, is God's saying, look, if you're a believer, I'm in control. Who are we to say who God is to have compassion on? Who God is to uh, show grace and mercy to? We must understand that this next part, very clearly, we must understand it, that all people are condemned by their own sin. I mentioned this in the beginning. And here it's ended. All people are condemned by their own sin. Okay? Their own sin, their own unbelief, right? And we see in verse 15, it's like, okay, I, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. There's nothing you can do. You cannot will it. You cannot work for it. You can't. 
We are all condemned by our own sin. We are dead in our trespasses, the Scriptures say. We cannot resuscitate ourselves. We are dead in our transgressions. If God created us and then left us to ourselves, we would all perish. We would all perish. There are some people that believe that out there, that God, okay, God created us and everything and then left. It's like we're left to our own whatever. We would all perish. We must understand the gospel of Jesus. We must understand salvation. We must understand the fact that God chooses some of the condemned to be the recipients of His grace and mercy. That's a loving God. We are all already condemned because of our own sinfulness, our own unbelief. We've already seen in Romans, no one will choose. The point is, is that God's favor, His, his favors are not determined by anyone or any thing outside of himself his purpose in election rests not upon human will and he is under no obligation to extend grace to anyone even the jews it's all by his choice his will Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. A lot of us know this this passage. I'm just going to take us to a couple of the verses here and then uh, revisit verse 16 and kind of wrap that up moving into the example that Paul's going to give us in Pharaoh. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Okay? It's very clear, very simple. It's not of your own doing. There's nothing you have done to receive the grace and mercy that you've received for the salvation in which you have. Nothing. Verse 9. And this is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Nothing. No one. It's all of God. Do we fully embrace that? This leads us back to verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It depends on God who has mercy. We deserve death. We deserve an eternity separated from Him. But as believers, we don't receive that. It's God's grace undeserved favor. It all rests on the will of God. Salvation is not initiated by human choice. 
Even faith is a gift of God. And we saw this, as I read in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. No one deserves or can earn his mercy or, um, or their salvation. Our salvation comes from God and his, essentially, what it comes down to, his election. He elected us. We must never forget nor neglect what we learned back in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Paul said this, we studied this. This is a message that we had a few months ago. You can go back and listen to, to this in Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Remember that message? Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's the only thing that saves us from the wrath of God, from the punishment of our sins, is Jesus. And it says, while we were still sinners, we must truly understand the scriptures salvation election what is just what is righteous what is unrighteous all from the perspective and teachings of god himself through the scriptures let's move on to verse 17 romans chapter 9 for the scripture says to pharaoh Okay, so don't get confused here. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, and there's a quote here, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And one of the things that we also see in scripture, and, and we, we're, we're seeing it here, and we see it many times, and it's been... Uh, and maybe we've experienced it, and we've seen it firsthand, is God hardens hearts. God hardens hearts. Got it that time? All right. So God hardens hearts. Have you ever had conversation with someone, and you're just trying to like, well, you know, God's Word says this, or you're trying to share the Scripture with them, and they're just like, they get more and more, and more upset or angry, right? And if you ever enter into a situation like that, back off, okay? Because their heart is hard, it's hardened, whether it's already been hard or it's being hardened in that moment, they're not going to receive what you have for them, right? In and through God's Word. I, I've been in many conversations like this over the past several years to where I'm sharing the Gospel and I can tell when someone's being polite and they're just listening, hoping that I would be done sooner than later. I can tell when someone's generally interested, right? And God's maybe pulling them in. 
Or there's a hardened heart. And it's just almost like a battle going on. And it's like, okay, let me ease my way out of this. You know, I still care about the person. I'm going to be like, oh, you don't want to hear about the gospel? All right, see you later. Good luck. All right. Uh, this is the attitude that some Christians have that uh, we shouldn't. I, I have friends that I've sh- literally shared the gospel with them dozens of times. I'm still friends with them in hopes that, hey, there'll be another opportunity to share the gospel with them again. There's another opportunity for me to share my faith with them or how God is working in my life. Or God will take them through something and maybe they all, they're ripe. Their heart has been softened, right? For the seed of God's Word. You don't know. But I think we've all, maybe, if you haven't, then you'll experience it um, sometime in your, in your walk. Or, but whatever it may be, we have this example that, that Paul is now going to give us with Pharaoh. And this is a common example. It's something that a lot of us may already know of or have heard before, but it's used quite a bit. And Paul doesn't hesitate to share it with us here. Pharaoh shows that he was wicked and cruel and stubborn. And even after the most stern and godly warnings, he still, Pharaoh, hardened his own heart. Scriptures tell us this. We'll briefly go back and look at this in a moment. We're not going to look at the whole, you know, with all the plagues and everything. We're not going to look at all of it. We're going to take a little section that I've pulled out for us to kind of look at. Um, And God hardens his heart as well. Even though God could have just destroyed Pharaoh, right? He could have just destroyed him. It's like, okay, this is an obstacle. Let me get this obstacle out of the way and make it easier for Moses. He says, no, he has other plans. And this is what we see here of Paul mentioning. Because he says, then he says to Pharaoh, this is the word that God had for Pharaoh. And he says this in verse 17. What we see is God preserving his life so that we, we could see God's display of power and mercy. And even though Pharaoh was condemned, God used him to display his power all over the lands. Right? And that's verse 17. Let me go back there briefly. He says, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God had a plan. He always does. So let's turn there briefly and see a little bit more of what's taken place in Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus chapter 9, starting in verse 13, 
Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now, I don't know, I, I, I may not have mentioned this in a while, but um, it might be a, a newer group of people. I don't know some of the that have been here a long time will probably remember this. I, I wasn't born into a Christian home. I wasn't born in a Christian family. Um, I got saved later on um, when I, in, closer into my 20s. Um, and I'm not going to go into that, but a very unique situation. But I, I literally learned about um, Moses and Pharaoh and the Red Sea and, and the Exodus through watching the Prince of Egypt. Like, that was my understanding, right? Uh, a lot of us born in the church, we know this. We color pictures. Uh, my, my kids probably do the same thing now and, and go through all this. But uh, that was my understanding of, okay, Moses and Pharaoh and, you know, and, and God's plagues and power and all this. And, I, and it was the cartoon, The Prince of Egypt. Um, and that was my understanding, and so as a new believer, I, I needed to go and, and read this and understand this for itself. And it's interesting because the, you know, Disney is a whole other issue, but the, the, the cartoon itself, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't display truly what the scriptures say. And as I began to get into the scriptures, I began to like, wow, there's so much more here. And so that's just a little interesting story about pastor raf and so getting back to our 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 text it says he let my people go that they may serve me verse 14 for this time i will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth so we see right there that God, he's like, go tell him this. This is a message from God. He's like, so all this is going to happen is like, so they, they're going to see my power. You're going to know this is from God, right? And only you're going to know, but the whole earth is going to know the power of God. Verse 15, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence so he could have struck them down he could have just did away with them and made it easy for for moses but that was not god's plan and you would have been cut off from the earth verse 16 but for this purpose i have raised you up okay and so that should be a, like a, a little revelation for all of us like for this purpose i've raised you up so this is from God talking to Pharaoh's like, okay, what's, what's going to come right now? I've raised you up for this purpose. For the plagues, for the destruction, for the whole world to see my power, who I am. To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 17. You are still exalting yourself. So what was one of the things that hardened Pharaoh's heart? 
He was exalting himself. He's like, it's about me. I'm king. I'm Pharaoh. I'm in charge. I'm in control. You don't tell me what to do. Sound familiar? How many times do we have this internal struggle or fight, right? Not only as we walk through life in our spiritual journey, but when we read Scripture and we read something, it's like, ah, well, I don't believe that. I can't do that. It's this fight. Are we exalting ourselves or are we exalting God? You are exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. We see very quickly Pharaoh and his what's going on there and God's message to him. And so we see that example given to us by Paul, and Paul then transitions into verse 18. It's kind of with, but not, and it's, it stands alone. So we're going to look at it on its own here in verse 18. It says, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Who are we to tell God any different? So just as Paul reminded us of the heart of Pharaoh, and we see how God softens and hardens hearts. It's interesting because we, we, have, to, we have to understand that in, in, in a way. Um, it's interesting because this, this example or this, this uh, kind of depiction I'm going to give you guys of kind of how God hardens hearts and softens hearts is, um, is something that kind of came to me. And, and, and you know, I, I go fishing a lot and and something that, you know, those that I go fishing with, we have a problem with is, is, is maintaining ice. So we want to keep our drinks cold or our food cold or have ice for the fish that we catch and want to bring home. And, and so we try to find good ice chests because it's been so hot outside. And it's like by the end of the day, the ice is gone if we don't have a good ice chest. And, 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 and I think of this as like, wow, the, the sun is a powerful thing. And just as the sun melts ice, it also hardens the clay. Just as the sun bleaches cloth, right? And, and I noticed that because I, I have a little canopy on the side of my house where I got a little pool where uh, my kids play with their cousins in the little pool. And, and, I'm look, and the top of that canopy used to be blue. And now a lot of it is like white and whitewashed blue. Like it's not strong blue. And it's like, been bleached but it's interesting just as the sun bleaches cloth or or material it tans our skin and i know it depends on you know your background and pigmentation and all that you know i i get pretty tan some of us we, we get red right um i understand but it, it's interesting just as the sun does these things just as the sun melts ice and hardens clay just as the sun bleaches cloth or material but tans our skin, so does God soften and harden hearts. It's the same God, but He chooses. And we submit to Him. Why? Because who are we? Who are we? Who are we to say? what God should and should not do. 
how he are how he is to give out his grace his mercy his election turn me to second peter chapter 2 second peter chapter 2 starting in verse 8 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So there's a righteous man living amongst unrighteous people And essentially their lawlessness was tormenting his soul. Was tormenting him. Because he knew what they were doing was wrong. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had those convictions? Verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority bold and willful they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones they indulge They indulge and despise authority. How are our police being treated today? How are those in law enforcement being treated? See the ways of the world? Don't get me wrong, there are injustices everywhere. No matter where you look, no matter where you go, there are injustices in churches, out of churches, in every town, every country, every organization, there are injustices. Why? Because there's sin. Because there's sin. Ah, oh, it's because of, because of my status. It's because of my upbringing. It's because of my background. It's because of my neighborhood. It's because of the color of my skin. Absolutely not. It's because of sin. All we've done is we've changed it, we've manipulated it, we've put a different name on it, and we've, caused, we've called it a cause, we've called it uh, an organization, we've called it whatever we want to do, and we've begun to manipulate it into something that we can, what, take credit for. It's sin. It's sin. We see in verse 8 that this righteous person living in such a thing, it's tormenting his soul. How do you feel? How's your spirit when you see these things? When you're amongst conversation about these things? How's your conscience? How's the Holy Spirit doing within you? 
One of the things that I ask people all the time is like, if this doesn't convict you, this doesn't bother you, if there's no tormenting of the soul, as we see here in verse 8, then we need to check our spiritual heart rate. Wow. Am I saved? Am I alive in Christ or am I still dead in my trespasses? Something that you need to wrestle with. According to the scriptures, not according to the world. According to the scriptures, not according to the news. According to the scriptures, not according to social media. According to the scriptures, not according to your friends. According to the scriptures. We see here in Second Peter just something that I don't think any of us can overlook because we see right here that God he says what in verse 9 then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from those trials he will always give you a way out right and to keep the unrighteous under punishment he's going to keep them under punishment Why? Because they're unrighteous. Why? Because they're sinners. Why? Because they reject God. Why? Go read Romans chapter 1. Until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. They despise it. They don't like authority. Same reason why if you walk around with the Bible and people get upset because they see the Bible as truth, as authority, why it's convicting to them. They reject it. It reminds them of all of the bad, all of the sin that they're doing. So they get angry. They get upset. You don't believe me? School starts back up. Carry a Bible in your hand. I'm not talking about your phone. Carry a Bible in your hand. Go to class. Set it on your desk. You are breaking no rules, no laws. You're not breaking anything. Just simply carrying your Bible and setting it on your desk. Do that for a few days and see what happens. The Scripture exposes. Why? Because it brings light into the dark places and it lights up what's in the dark. And sometimes that's the very thing no one wants you to see. I want to continue on, jump to verse 12 here in Second Peter. It says, but these like irrational animals. So God actually compares those what? That, that, that um, indulge in these things, that despise authority, that blaspheme the glorious ones, that blaspheme the chosen, these are like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Very clear. Very strong words. Verse 13, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it 
pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their, what, deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteadily souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray. So not only do they live in this way and, and they're going to be afflicted in this way, but they're going to entice you in that way. That's why we have discernment. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to be in Scripture. Why? The more we know what the authentic truth is, the more we can identify what the synthetic truth is, what the lies are, what is fake. said it many times before, it's not about my opinion. It's not about Pastor Raph's uh, uh, clever thoughts or, or whatever it may be. It's about God's Word. If you hear anything when I preach, hear God's Word. Not my commentary, not my opinion, not my emotion, not my thoughts. Hear God's Word because I will fail you. I will fail you. I am not perfect. But God is. And He will never fail you. So we come to the conclusion of understanding that God is just. He is just. He is righteous. There is no injustice with God. There is no injustice with Him. He's going to take care of it. Pastor Raph, what should we do? Pray. Well, well, it seems like that's very passive. <laughs> Prayer is not passive by any means. Pray. Well, what else can we do besides pray? Share the gospel. Why? Because it is a sin issue. Allow God to take care of the injustices in the world. Why? Because He guarantees that He will. He promises us that He will. We get so impatient. God's not doing it. We need to go do it. God, hurry up. Well, you're taking too long. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to... Why? Pat ourselves on the back. Look what I'm doing. I'm a soldier. I'm an advocate. Whatever you think or want to call it God is in control he is just he is righteous there is no injustice in him there is no injustice with God so leave it with God to take care of be faithful with what your faith your hope your salvation, the gospel. We're going to close with this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1.
Second Thessalonians chapter one verse five. Don't worry, we're almost done. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. This is not something in the Old Testament. This is in 2 Thessalonians. This is in the New Testament. This is further along in the development of the New Testament church. And it reveals to us God's plan. And it reveals to us the understanding in which God views injustice. And for those that are righteous, those who are saved, those who have the gospel, it's like, he's like, look, don't worry. I understand what these people are doing. And I understand what the people who call themselves Christians are doing as well. He's like, don't worry, they're going to be punished also. Did we not catch that part? Verse 8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. So it's going to happen to those who don't know God on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence. They might know of God. They might think they know, right? And there's examples of that in Scripture. Jesus himself gives an example of that in the Gospels. But it's to give us what? Understanding. Hope. God is in control. He is righteous. He is just. Sin does not go unpunished. It's either you have sin that will be punished or you have sin that's been forgiven. And that's in and through Jesus Christ and in and through Jesus Christ alone. That is the only reconciliation for our trespasses. The only one. It's the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. The work on the cross. So how do you view injustice? Do we have a biblical view? Or a worldly view? 
Do we view God as righteous and just and loving? Do we have a worldly view or a biblical view? And that's for you to answer. I can't answer that for you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for your word. Lord, may we truly see and embrace the promises that you give us, the commands that you give us. May we view things in this world through your word. Not through other people, not through our flesh, not through our emotions, but through your word and your word alone. So Lord, continue to use your word and the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us and convict us to be more like Jesus Christ each day. And may we stay true to that path and your will. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.